Good afternoon. Can everybody hear me okay? Uh, if you can't hear me okay, <laughs> no, I guess everybody's doing okay. This is right in the middle of nap time. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm glad that you're here today. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it a whole lot shorter this time because we, we learned last week, we learned last week that if you give a 15-minute introduction, then it cuts away from the time that your, your speaker's actually going to speak. So I'm going to open with a prayer, and, uh, and then after that, I'm going to let uh, Belinda Reeves come and tell you. The Reverend Belinda Reeves is a pastor at Discovery United Methodist Church in Hoover. Is that right? I get mixed up with Birmingham places. Hoover. And uh, anyway, I could say a lot about Belinda, but I'll let her say about herself the things that I can't say. And um, we have um, asked each speaker to say about two subjects, what has led you and your church to be at the place where you are right now in regards to either staying United Methodist Church or disaffiliating. And then the second point is, what do you see for your future? Um, and we, um, after Belinda speaks for 30 minutes or so, we will have a 30 minute question and answer period and I'll say a little bit more about the question and answer period uh, after that. Following question and answer period, we'll have a break. We have refreshments out the door here. If you, um, if you need to know, mo most everybody here is um, our folks. So I don't need to tell you where everything is. All right. So let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for giving us this beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we've already set aside to worship you today. And we pray that that same worshipful spirit will be with us this afternoon. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit, the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control will be all over us today. And that everything that is said would be edifying and everything that is said will be done in a spirit of charity and cooperation. Um, thank you for Belinda, for Eddie, who are coming this afternoon to speak. I pray your blessings upon each of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all. I am glad to be here. This is a beautiful place. I've never been inside this church. And I've only been a couple times even to Gadsden or through Gadsden, and you'll hear a little bit more about my story um, as I go. First, I want you to know that I'm way out of my comfort zone right now, way out of my comfort zone. Um, I am not a Methodist polity expert, and I don't have talking points from either side to uphold or to refute. I have no Alabama genealogy or Methodist pedigree. I haven't had any, held any positions of power or authority in the conference. Thanks be to God, maybe. Please laugh, please laugh, amen, whatever you need to do, it'll make it just a lot easier. Um, I am here at the request of my dear friend and colleague, your pastor, who by the grace of God, 
I crossed paths with not just once, but more than once, first through his dear wife and my friend, Tammy, who I knew long before I ever knew Sammy, long before uh, I became Methodist clergy. And then again, as he and I both served on the Northwest District operational team when we were serving churches together in that district. And one of the blessings of my time there was, is, continues to be my friendship with Sam. You are blessed um, in your pastor, in my humble opinion. I am a product of the Deep South, born in New Orleans, raised in Atlanta. I raised my children and heard my call to ministry in the suburbs of Jackson, Mississippi. I have a degree in religious studies, which I got uh, just before my hair went all white, so not too long ago, from Millsaps College there in Jackson. And I have training in spiritual direction from Eastern Mennonite Seminary. I graduated from Candler School of Theology at Emory University in 2010, and I have served a variety of churches in North Alabama since then. I have served in the black church, I have served in the white church, I have served in rural churches, small town churches, and now in a, a suburban church. I've served both in the role of associate pastor and as lead pastor in several places um, for a total of 12 years in the pulpit. I'm a grandmother, I'm really proud of that. Um, to Adeline and Alexander, I'm a mom. To Aaron and Amy and Burks and my fur babies, I've got two of them, Shorty and Shadow, they are my mostly companions these days. I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, and I'm a friend. But most importantly today, for me, as I talk with you, I am a sinner saved by God's grace who chooses to surrender to the power of God's Holy Spirit day by day so that I might grow in love and in grace and so that I have a rat's chance of becoming more like Jesus. Every day, I need God's help to continue on my healing journey as an adult child of an alcoholic father with all the stuff that being raised in a highly dysfunctional home and family can bring to a person for all of their days. It is a one day at a time kind of journey and every day I must surrender myself anew to the transformational love and grace of God. I am a work in progress, and I am more surprised than anyone that I have been called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am grateful to be here to offer my testimony. That is what this is today. Rather than talking points, Sam said the first question was, why am I staying United Methodist? And for me, it's not a bunch of facts. It's not a bunch of polity. It is a testimony to God's work in my life throughout my whole life. And so this is how I come to you 
today. So I need to calm down, so we need to pray. So would you pray with me? You'll be familiar with this prayer. If you want to say this prayer with me, you can. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, Lord, that we might be created so that you can renew the face of your earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by that same Holy Spirit we might be truly wise and ever enjoy your consolations through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I don't normally work from a manuscript, but today I just have to because I'm kind of, you know, all of this has got us all wiggly, doesn't it? Um, And so I just want to kind of stick to the script. And so if it goes a little slow, uh, if there are places where I'm kind of stumbling, I'm going to tell you this. I thought I'd finished this talk. And I went to bed last night, and when I woke up at 5 o'clock, which is way early for me, God said, yeah, you did part of it. but you haven't finished. And so I feel led by the Spirit to share what you might think is much too personally for for this day, but I just offer it to you because that is what God has asked of me. So I wanna open with a few scripture readings that have been running around in my head since I got the call from Sam and your team. Sam's not the only one that invited me. I guess I should, and I do wanna meet the team later and hopefully I'll get to meet you face to face. I've heard your names. I wanna open with a few scripture readings that have been in my head since I received this invitation. Um, You know, I'm kind of reluctant. I'm not the kind of preacher that just plops the scripture out and then you know, doesn't unpack it in its original context. But I feel like it's only fair to you to kind of know where my mind and heart has been as I came to this assignment. The first uh, reading is Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And then uh, from Matthew chapter seven, beginning with verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear 
good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruit. And then lastly, from Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, beginning with verse one, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All of these are the words of God for all the people, and we say thanks be to God. At different points in um, my talk, you'll, you'll recognize those texts uh, popping up. And so the first question, why am I remaining a United Methodist? The reason I'm remaining a United Methodist is the same reason that I became a United Methodist in the first place. My family of origin was culturally Catholic. I did not go to church, but attended parochial school where I got my religious training and made my first communion when I was seven years old. In fourth grade, we moved to Atlanta and all of my religious training ceased. My exposure to church was just occasionally tagging along with friends to their various church youth groups. My entire life, I had only heard the Christian story told one way, beginning with human sin and usually beginning with the line, if you died tonight, Y'all ever heard it told that way? If you died tonight. That story always wanted to focus on how bad I was, how angry God was about it, how I'd better get in line or else I might be doomed to hell. But then they wanted to tell me how loving this God was, and I'm gonna be honest with you, having no real training, not knowing anything about the scripture, this was confusing and honestly, not very compelling. Those are the words of a grown woman and not a, not a kid, but I couldn't say it in so many words then, but it just didn't feel right, and it didn't feel true, to what I knew in my soul, some connection to something bigger than me and better than all of the adults around me who aren't behaving very well. And it didn't seem that people were too interested in what I was suffering every single day in a chaotic, unhealthy home. I was too busy trying to be good, to not draw attention to myself or to my family, to worry about the future. I didn't know what it was gonna be like when I got home. 
And y'all, that was hell enough. If God was so good, somebody, somebody wasn't doing something right. And I had this sense, even as a kid and a teen, I longed for a more believable story to give my life meaning and purpose. I needed to know love, not judgment. I needed a place and I needed a people who would accept me just as I was and who would show me who Jesus was and show me what unconditional love looked like. Fast forward a little while, and when I was 27 years old, I found myself waddling, y'all, waddling up the aisle of a large suburban Methodist church about the size of this one in Brandon, Mississippi. I was eight and a half months pregnant, and I towed behind me a two and a half year old. I had been attracted to this church because it was Methodist, which was the church of my husband's upbringing, and more importantly and more personally because of their ministry to children and families, which I desperately needed. Their mother's morning out, they had nursery for the children at every single church function. If y'all don't do that, you might could get some young families up in here. Um, and, I, and I needed the friends that I found as I began to be invited into the Sunday school classes and the Bible studies and the UMW circles. Do y'all still have circles? Yay, a church that still has circles. They're rare, y'all. Um, honestly, and not surprisingly, given the details of my early life, relationships brought me down the aisle of that church. I needed to belong to something more than my little family. Having just relocated to Mississippi, I found myself plagued with loneliness, which in my humble opinion, debilitates as many good people as sinfulness ever did. People are lonely, y'all, especially now. I threw myself into that place. Remember the nursery? I did all the things. If it had a nursery, I was, I was your girl. People, preachers like us, Sam, we love to see people like me coming. Sure, I'll, I'll arrange that directory. Sure, I'll arrange the Bible school. I became the uber church lady. Couldn't get enough. For the first time in my life, I was in a place where I felt safe enough and accepted enough to risk being vulnerable and to ask my questions. And I had a lot of them, y'all, because I had never been exposed to the scripture. Um, I felt safe enough to voice my doubts about the things that now I have to look back and laugh because now that I'm a preacher and spent a lot of years as a good church lady, we sometimes forget what it was like before. And I was definitely the before. And for the first time in my life, y'all, I heard the story of God told from God's perspective. These people told the story of God with a different starting point, and I had never ever heard it told this way. Starting with God's amazing faithfulness to us, God's unconditional love, 
and grace, all the grace. Y'all, I was made to be a Methodist. I, I, I just ate this up. The story, the way Methodists tell it, makes sense. It made so much sense to me that everything begins with God's good grace, with God's action in our own lives, in our lives, his prevenient grace. And encouraged by this new church family, I began to study scripture for the first time in my life. And it wasn't long that I participated in disciple Bible study. I'm going to tell y'all who's done disciple. Lots, yeah, probably lots of you. That's a wild ride if you've not spent much time in the scripture. It was, it was a lot of work and it was amazing and wonderful and it opened my eyes. I learned more about who God is, who I was created to be, and how to live in relationship with God. I learned that for the first time through Jesus, of course. And this Jesus was very different from the faraway Jesus I learned about in my childhood who, through people who were well-intentioned, y'all, don't get me wrong, but who, who, the way they talked about Jesus, it seemed he was more interested in my being good, but that he didn't know about my pain and my suffering and my desire to know a better way how to live. I was so excited in this Bible study to learn about the ways that we go about interpreting scripture, the disciplined ways that a disciple, see how I did that, disciple and discipline, right? Let's go together, um, that we learn, that we're making the Bible real and relevant while it was also connecting me to, to that ancient story of God and God's people. And through disciple, I got to practice some spiritual disciplines, and I was not, I had never been exposed to those either. And they were drawing me close to God and bringing a real change about in me. I was experiencing new life and unconditional love from God and my community that made me want to keep growing and learning, growing in holiness, God's sanctifying grace. There was, there was head action, y'all, and there was heart action all at the same time. And it was amazing, and it was overwhelming at times, and it was wonderful, and I was grateful, and I still am, y'all, because, you know, fast forward and and here I am. I can look back and I can see that God was working, like I said, in my head and in my heart and in practical ways, not informing me just in what I believe, y'all, but how I could act it out in my life. Because what we all know is that a life in Christ is not just about saying the right things, but in walking those out and working them out in the community that we share in the church and outside these walls. Now, I don't remember how, but I've always been a nerd, even as a little bitty kid. One of the ways I tried to be good was just to do all my schoolwork and read all the books and do all the things. So I'm a big nerd. And one day I read 
a section in the Book of Discipline, yes I did, um, about what Methodists believe and how they actually do theology. Now y'all, this is way back. This is when I'm just first learning about being a Christian and being a Methodist, and I pick up the Book of Discipline. I did not even know that a Book of Discipline would be a thing, right? And so I was just kind of fascinated. And then I get to this portion. Um, you may or may not know that I'm referring to paragraphs 101 through 104 that are entitled Doctrinal Standards and Our Theological Task. Does anybody, does anybody love that as much as I do? Okay, you're my friend over here. I've got a, got a polity friend over here. Yeah, so, um, and it amounts to what's about 45 pages. Printed it up on the computer this weekend to reread it. Um, and it has become the heart of my personal discipleship practice as I approach scripture and as, as the heart of my teaching ministry as I teach the scripture and the disciplined ways through which we embrace the scripture and bring it into our lives. Um, and so that was 30 years ago. I recognize it as special then, um, and now I understand it as the heart, or one of the places of the heart of United Methodism. If you haven't read it through lately or ever, I urge you to do so as soon as possible, especially while we are weighing such important issues uh, in our church, maybe even before your next discernment meeting. And I wondered, had I actually found a group of people, because you know, right, it's the polity, it's just the rules, it's written down, and so of course what we know is those things have to be practiced. But I wondered these things. Had I actually found an entire denomination that expected people to use their critical thinking skills when it came to understanding scripture. Now, I'd had enough time in the classroom to know that a lot of people, people had a hard time with that. Um, a church where I did not have to check my brain at the door. A place where I would be encouraged to live out my faith authentically and practically instead of just following the rules. A place where tradition, reason, and human experience are considered important in helping us to understand scripture and in helping us to know how to apply it to our lives. I was hooked. That was it. The book of discipline did it. Don't tell any of my preachers. <laughs> it was then that I truly decided that I'd found my heart and soul's home, uh, church home in United Methodism. And I had no idea where the journey would take me. I was truly in love with what I saw in those pages and what I experienced in that lovely church, St. Mark's in Brandon, Mississippi, on the reservoir in Rankin County. If any of y'all know Mississippi, that is where those good Methodists are, still are. Um, it helped me to understand and to love God more, to understand and love Jesus more, to understand and love myself more, and nobody had ever taught me, y'all, to love myself or that I was lovable. 
And finally, it helped me to know how to love others. Oh, and y'all, I love John Wesley. And actually, I have had church members since I'm a pastor who sometimes complain, even to the district superintendent. She talks about John Wesley almost as much as she talks about Jesus. So I won't call his name so much. But I did come to love what I learned about John Wesley. Here is a man who truly loved God and saw in Scripture the movement of God through the people of God. And, and this learning is not really, this learning is kind of fast forwarded a little bit. This is what I love about him now. He was brave enough to begin a renewal movement of the Church of England in the same way that he saw Jesus in the early church renewing Judaism in scripture. In the same way that he saw the 16th century church reformers renewing Catholicism. And after his example in teaching, by following this beautiful document, which is not church law. I should say this to you. It is not church law, although it does sit in our discipline. Um, we have a way of doing theology that gives us a way to faithfully renew our understandings of Scripture in our world. Life application, we kind of sometimes call that. This United Methodist way of being in the world of working and walking out our theology in real life instead of just in our heads and our creeds is what Wesley would say, faith and love put into practice. We have a means whereby we can faithfully wrestle all the issues of human existence. And there are a lot of them. And I know sometimes it feels like we've got more of them in our time, but they've been going on all of recorded history, right? Uh, all the issues, all the hard circumstances, personal, political, social. This formula sometimes, uh, it, it is attributed to Albert Outler, a great uh, Methodist scholar, uh, as the quadrilateral. It's a tool that helps us to take scripture very seriously, even as we understand why we can't always just take it literally. By way of reminder, hear these words from paragraph 104. I'm just going to read some of them straight out, our theological task. Wesley believed that the living core of the Christian faith was revealed in Scripture, illumined by tradition, vivified or enlivened through personal, in personal experience, and confirmed by reason. Scripture is primary. Therefore, our theological task focuses on disciplined study of the Bible. Tradition provides both a source and a measure of authentic Christian witness, although its authority derives from its faithfulness to the biblical message. To become our witness, it must make sense in terms of our own reason and experience. What matters most is that all four guidelines be brought to bear in faithful, serious, theological consideration, end quote. Um, I thought of a little analogy. I'm not great at those. I do better with stories from scripture. But as I was thinking about the quadrilateral yesterday, I was thinking about some famous dancers. Y'all know who I'm talking about when I talk about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, right? <laughs> I don't have anybody too young that y'all don't know who I'm talking about, do I? So... So this is like our theological dance, y'all. 
Scripture leads in this dance. Scripture leads. Scripture is Fred Astaire. Forgive me, Lord. Scripture is Fred Astaire. But Fred Astaire, who wants to watch Fred Astaire dance all by himself if he's doing a tango or a waltz? That wouldn't be very attractive. And so experience and reason and the tradition of the church, they are Ginger Rogers. They're following scripture's lead. They together make a great team. You can't do one without the other. It requires all four and you get this great dance. But here's what I want to say about Ginger Rogers. She's doing it backwards and in high heels. So she's carrying her weight. And so as we live out our lives, we are, yes, we are, we are devoted to the primacy of Scripture. But we cannot rely on a 2,000-year-old tradition and, and a meaning and a, a literalness and expect that to serve us well as disciples of Jesus Christ in 2023. We have to do harder work than that. And for that, I think I might be grateful because my degrees pay off and I get a paycheck. If you didn't need a little help with that, well, we'd be maybe out of business. And so um, scripture is primary and therefore, I already said that. Um, so I like to think of it this way. As United Methodists, we have a way to do things differently when we realize that we need a change. We need a change to be faithful in the world because the world is changing. The author Maya Angelou says, we should do the best we can until we know better. And when we know better, we should do better. That sounds a little bit like our general rules, which are also outlined in those same four paragraphs. Now they're long paragraphs, 50 pages thereabouts. Uh, They say, am I on? They say at my church, if you tied my hands behind my back, I couldn't talk. So we might, this might get interesting. Okay. Um, and so Bishop Job famously interpreted, interpreted and abbreviated these rules for today as first, do no harm, second, do good, and third, Stay in love with God. These are some of the reasons I became United Methodist, and they're the reasons that I'm remaining United Methodist. I fell in love with a big tent church whose acknowledgement of a range of acceptable views on social issues creates what I think of as a generative tension. It's hard, tension, you know what tension is, but a generative one that keeps us from falling in the ditches. I don't know if anybody says this, I don't know where I ever got this, but this is how I think about it. We've got some ditches in our world in the United Methodist Church. We have the liberal theological ditch of anything goes. 
and we have the fundamentalist ditch of self-righteousness and judgment. A church where I can always find a diversity of opinions on all subjects so that I can learn from people who think and live differently than I do. That is what I want. I want a place that privileges God's grace and mercy above human judgment. A place that encourages me to hold the gate wide open for all comers rather than saddling me as a pastor with the burden of sorting out the sheep from the goats. My experience is that open hearts, open minds, and open doors freeze me, freeze me. No, actually, I think it saves me. Saves me from living in the echo chambers of my own mind and my own opinions. And it keeps me in a posture of not just welcoming, but actively seeking out those who need healing from the hard circumstances of life. We all need to be healed from something and saved from something. Sin, it's a theological word, it's a churchy word, it's in the scripture, but it's not a big enough word to hold all of the world's needs. The beauty of life and communion, community to me is diversity. The world begs us to sort ourselves out, like with like, choosing a side and surrounding ourselves with those whose voices echo our own leanings. If I wanted to live like that, I wouldn't need the church. As impossible as it seems, I want to live out the vision of the church, the vision of the kingdom that God has right here, right now. You know, the place we read about in scripture and we sing about in the hymns where the lion lays down with the lamb. Somebody said recently, neither one of them gets much sleep, but okay, they're still there. Where they beat their swords into plowshares, where broken hearts are bound up and healing happens in all its forms, where we share what we have until everyone has what they need. If there's to be judgment, I want to allow it to come from God. And if I'm going to make a mistake, I want it to come on the side of love and grace and inclusion. God is the author of love and grace and healing and transformation and conviction that leads to repentance, not me. I'm just a channel of God's grace through which I pray that the Holy Spirit is flowing. I want to seek the places where God is at work and join God in that work. And to be honest, I see God at work in all kind of places, y'all, and it's pretty exciting. Communities all over the theological spectrum, I see God at work in the global south, growing the conservative churches there in leaps and bounds that we only wish could ever happen here. And I see God at work in far more progressive places than the American South. And I see the fruit of the ministry of LGBTQI persons called by God to serve the church right here in Alabama. Jesus said that only good trees bear good fruit. 
In all of these places, I hear testimony from and see fruit of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people who feel called by God to ministry in spite of their utter humanity. God's been using broken humans for all of recorded history. God can and will use whomever God wants, regardless of what we think about it. And I just want to get out of God's way. My little girl self never knew what she wanted to be when she grew up. She was trying too hard to be good enough to worry about that. But y'all, I got my dearest wishes to have a safe and happy home with a husband and children and to know real love, not just from people, but from God. But it was God's people who showed that to me first. I know myself as a beloved child of God and of all things a preacher, y'all. For heaven's sakes, I was the last person who thought that would ever happen or that was a good idea. And I tell some church folks, talk to God about it. I had a lot of questions. All I want to do is share this gospel of love and acceptance and healing and brokenness and woundedness and yes, of repentance and forgiveness. And I know I'm, I'm really long, I'm sorry. I deliver much, much longer than I pra- when I'm practicing, I go faster. It, it can eat into my question time. Sam also wanted me to share about my, why my church is remaining United Methodist. I'm currently the pastor, uh, 15 months now, at Discovery in Hoover, a church that is not in discernment because they decided just shy of 30 years ago to plant a United Methodist Church for much the same reasons that I became a Methodist. Uh, They have a desire to welcome all. They always have. They've had an inclusive ministry for all of those years to welcome all who are searching for wholeness, healing, meaning, and purpose. Like all of us, that believe in Jesus. We know this comes from a relationship with God through Jesus. We desire to help people find abundant life on earth, Um, not just eternal life in heaven, although that's going to be super fantastic. Um, We want to help people flourish here and now. To be clear, I want to say that discovery is not a monolith of progressive thinkers. I think it's important for you to know that. We have members all over the theological spectrum. And over their 30-year journey, they've not stayed in the same place. There were years when they had a reconciling Sunday school class, and the membership of the church included many same-sex couples and a large group of allies. The couple that Bishop Talbot Uh, married in this conference some years ago came out of discovery but I want to set the record straight because sometimes when you google our church that all that news pops up Um, that wedding did not happen in our sanctuary and it was not conducted by any of the clergy that affiliated with this church And without supportive pastoral leadership, Discovery's inclusive ministry suffered over the last uh, seven years. But we want to restore it. Today at Discovery, we have the same diversity in our church that I imagine most churches in North Alabama have. 
The only difference is that we have decided that inclusivity, inclusivity and diversity is our vision of what God desires for us, and we will work toward that. We have a lot of work ahead of us, y'all. We don't do it. We don't do it perfectly well. Um, we've got to learn a lot. We've got to learn to talk to each other and have better relationships in our church. Those even suffer. It's not enough for us to simply say we want to be welcoming, but then to just tolerate people who are different from us. What we want is to grow in genuine relationships and understanding of all others that come through our doors, affirming the diversity with which we believe God has created all of us. And so the church leadership and membership stands united in that vision, even though we are from all over the theological spectrum. We need to refocus on our mission at Discovery, like so many of us. Um, after COVID and things have just been tough, we need to intentionally preach and teach that which we vision as our future. We need to take risks reaching out into the community, uh, doing all the things that all good churches do in the name of Jesus to build God's kingdom. And we have to reorient ourselves because like in a lot of churches, we have far too long worried only about our own discipleship needs and comfort. We must remember, I'm talking about discovery. At Discovery, we want to remember Wesley's distinctive healthy balance of personal and social holiness. And we have got to get out of our church and into our community. Some of the things we're doing, in February, we began reading and preaching straight through the Bible and discussing the preaching passages in our connection groups. We're reminding ourselves of the fullness of the witness of Scripture. We're hearing God speak to us about our current denominational situation and all the potential hot-button issues in our world. And we are learning how to approach Scripture more faithfully and seriously, and we are really trying to notice that it says much more than we've often given it credit for, and, and, and it says things in places, you know, things that we thought it says we're not finding, so that's interesting. I think the process is making us more charitable readers of Scripture and more attentive disciples of Jesus. Just this morning, we heard a word from Jeremiah, and we were reminded of the prophetic witness of the Hebrew Bible from which Jesus draws his job description that we heard earlier. And so we're going to be learning to listen to, to each other better. Um, and we're going to do some hard work because I think that our present darkness, I sometimes call it, is because the church has never had and taught of good theology of human sexuality, period. And so we're gonna go about that business, which ought to be embarrassing, probably, not a lot of fun, but we're gonna hold our feet to the fire uh, so that we can learn more and more. 
in closing, I'm just going to say one more thing, and then y'all can ask me questions. I learned in a movie I watched this week. I don't watch a lot of TV, but there was this, this movie, and um, the mom and the daughter had a shorthand. And, you know, we ask each other in church, how we doing? How you doing? And what do most people say? Fine. I'm fine. Did y'all know that fine stands for feelings inside not expressed? Y'all, at Discovery and everywhere I am, I want to be a part of a church that it is okay for us to be real, to be broken, to be in need of each other's love and care, and in need of Jesus. And so, maybe we could all practice in the refreshment time, not to say, I'm fine. How are you? Uh, so I am fine. Thank you. And we're ready. You keep that because you're going to need that. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. Yes, it is. Thank okay. goodness. Amy's going to take one mic. Okay. Hello. Oh, there it goes. All right. Just a couple of ground rules, which I don't think we'll, we'll probably need um, this week since we had, but um, ask, ask the questions to the speaker. Please don't um, give a four score and seven years ago pontification. <laughs> um, don't, please don't ask just rhetorical questions like, why can't we all just get along or, or something, something like that, you know? Uh, and we only have uh, about 15 minutes because the preacher was long-winded. Not, not, it was no. a good tactic, wasn't it? No, it wasn't on purpose. Raise your hand and, Sorry. and, um, and your outcome. Questions? Okay. That's fine. <laughs> uh, with the church conference, the general conference that did not meet during the pandemic and then the lack of action that never took place in the previous one. Um, what do you think is going to happen in the future, especially with the newest information about what the African Methodist oh. Church is doing? You know what? I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, I, I don't know. Um, and so if you have a more specific... I, I'm, I'm not... Um, a prognosticator. Is there a specific thing you want me to say? I'm worried that the, the next general conference is going to be just like the last one and no decision is made. Now I'm, I'm just trying to get some direction as to where the United Methodist Church is going. Okay. So that we'll just kick the can down the road because we've been we've been accused. That's happened, right? Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I guess that's a possibility. I don't, I don't know, and I'm going to really say to y'all, I am not, I meant it when I said I'm not a polity geek. I mean, I know a little bit about it, but when it comes to, to then, I, I, I can't guess. So is there another, another question? Okay, you can't see Andy's shoes, but I hope sometime during this uh, day you can check out Andy's shoes. All right, um, I want to make sure the members of our task force 
introduce themselves to our speaker. So George, would you stand up? And Joni and is Debbie here? Harry's here, right there. And, and there's oh, there's Debbie. Okay, and myself. And we Thank welcome you, you here. Um, I Thank know you. It's, it's a long drive. It's um, okay. Given the fact that love casts out fear, how have you dealt with that in the fear that the gays are going to take over our churches? Oh, well, so, you know, some of it's just practicality, y'all. Um, only about 4% of the population are uh, LGBTQI. So that's a very small percent percentage. Um, and in my experience and in my relationships, I don't, I don't, I'm not afraid. I have friends and family members that all over the spectrum of sexuality. Um, I have relationships with transgendered persons. And I frankly don't feel like there's anything to be afraid of. Often people want to know this, and I'll offer this. I had a few more notes, but since I was long, I needed to say it during the question time. Um, people ask me, well, well what, is it, what does it mean if we're an inclusive church? I've had parents come to me with teenage children who are struggling with their sexuality. Heck, I've had adults coming with the, their sexuality, and these teenagers always want to talk about intimacy and all of that, and their parents are always so worried. And I think church members like to know that when I have those conversations, what I tell these kids is, ain't nobody doing nothing with nobody, whether they're the same sex or the opposite sex, until you're grown, until you are in a committed, monogamous, life-giving relationship, married. And thankfully now, in the state of you know, gay couples can be married. And so I don't believe it's anything goes. I believe when I talked about uh, teaching theology of sexuality in the church, one of the things is understanding that just because you're heterosexual does not mean that everything that happens in your bedroom is good, holy, life-giving, right? Um, we know, but, but we have this... I don't know why it is that when we get afraid, um, then we like assume all this, this craziness. We had a teenager in the last church I served whose parents were married lesbians and the, the one wife helped raise those children. Their own father didn't do that. And this boy was being confirmed. We were confirming him. And he said one night at the retreat, I just wish everybody understood how boring it is at my house. All that ever happens is chores and cooking and nagging mamas and, you know, and so this flattening of our, our imaginations around sexual sin, which I think we, um, we get a little, little, little crazy about sometimes. Everything does not go in any intimate relationship. Y'all, we know that there are married couples where husbands rape their wives, and that's not right. But it's heterosexual. And so we can't be about othering people when there are good and healthy ways of being committed, uh, faithful, 
to one another, living in a marriage just like the best heterosexual marriage that we can be in. Sorry, I went to preaching. Does that, is that kind of what you... Okay. Is somebody else? Other questions? So with all what you just said, how do you biblically back up what you just said? That, you know, well, that the God said, I mean, is the Bible not the authoritative word of the United Methodist Church, the Holy Bible, and what is said in the Bible? How does that spin to... Right. Right. So, so this is, can be a super long answer, but it was really what I was talking about the whole time where I was talking about to interpret scripture is not as simple as to just read it and assume we understand it. So, for example, we often, we often look at Levitical texts that say man should not sleep with a woman, and yet we want to lift that verse out, but we want to ignore all the other Levitical uh, uh, you know, rules about what we should eat and how people are and are not clean and things women had to do to purify themselves. And we want to we wanna value pieces of it over and above other pieces of it. And so I'm saying that we can't just pluck out for our own use. There's five, six, some people say as many as eight little passages uh, and just say, these are literal and they mean what they mean when we're not looking at them in the context in which they were written in that original book for the purposes that they were meant. And, and you know, some of it is just, I think the word practicality gets around it. Um, I'm probably gonna eat shrimp tomorrow on my birthday. I mean, that's just a reality. But but there are places in the Bible where it says I shouldn't do that, and I'm okay with that. I am a divorced woman. I didn't say that. There are places in the Scripture where, and maybe some of you don't think it's a good idea for me to be a, a pastor because I'm a woman, because Paul did in certain contexts say women should be silent in the church. But we don't universalize all of it. And so the question is, it's a question back. I can't, I can't prove it on a, this is literal, this, what, this is what it means. But when we use good, well-rounded, disciplined scriptural interpretation, considering the original form of the writing, the place that it was written for, the culture it was written for, the context, what particular problem in that church Paul was giving advice about that woman not speaking. And so it's just not as simple as literal. It means we've got to take Scripture super seriously, and we have got to bring all the tools that we have at our disposal to arrive at how, how we are to live. Anybody else? One more question, and then, then we'll need to break. I was just hoping you would speak for just a moment toward uh, 
inclusivity as far as it pertains to people uh, coming to the church to join the church, to be baptized, to be full members of the church, and what that looks like in an inclusive church. Okay. So, um, for now, until such time as the discipline would change, uh, a person at Discovery, for example, and I'm the pastor there, so we have, we have members at all levels of, we have people who visit, we have leaders in the church who are married um, gay people. Um, they lead worship. They teach. They are on our outreach team. Uh, they have every right and privilege as a member of our church with the exception of the right to be married in our sanctuary or to have me as their pastor officiate at their wedding, nor do, can they move forward for ordination. Um, and so we actually have a church member who is discerning a call to ministry at this time, who leads in worship, who sings in the praise band. So at Discovery, in our inclusive ministry, all the ministries are open to anyone who has the gifts and the graces. Um, it's my heart's desire as a pastor, y'all, to, when I baptize a baby, to be able to confirm that child to be able to walk with that person cradle to grave as their pastor, to be able to marry them in the church that they love, and to mentor them into full-time Christian service if they're called by God. Right now, I don't have the ability to do that. Um, I've taken vows with the United Methodist Church, and until the discipline changes, I will not break those vows, so I will not officiate at a wedding. Um, but baptism of children, absolutely. Uh, God is the actor in that baptism. And so I'm baptizing anybody that uh, the parents bring forward. Uh, confirmation, same thing. Is that what you wanted to hear? Okay, all right. Thank you all for having me. I am sorry that, um, that I went long. It wasn't a tactic, but I learned something new. Speak long and then your Q&A is shorter. It's good to see you. Thank, thank you, Belinda. Thank you. Uh, I also want to thank uh, our, our team that has put together refreshments for us out here. And um, those, um, those cool-looking refreshments are not going to eat themselves. So, y'all, we'll take a break. We'll try to start again at 4.15.